Now, I get the privilege of hearing the longer version of their stories. And it really reminds me of everything we're going through the book of Philippians. The question is, how do we live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? I mean, in our crazy world, and craziness is nothing new. I mean, history bears record that evil has many faces. But the question is, how do we view life as an opportunity to advance the gospel? Instead of getting angry and insisting in our way, how do we live in selfless community and unity that Paul's been talking about? How do we have the mind of Christ? How do we live in humility and obedience? How do we live above grumbling and divisiveness? And in the midst of all this, Paul stops for a moment with the content and gives us two illustrations. One is Timothy, and the other is Epaphrodites. Now, it was last week that Dr. Kime talked about Timothy. And, you know, in some ways, it's about Paul, the older, teaching the younger. That's an example of what Scripture talks about. Now, one detail Dr. Kime did not tell you, as he was busy telling you that he's better looking than me. <laughs> he was my professor at Lancaster Bible College. I had him in Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Now, I can guarantee you in his mind, because it was in my mind as well, that he never would have thought that his student would be pastoring the local church where he attended. Now, he taught me three things as the older teaching the younger. And I realize there's a lot of content in Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but that wasn't what I necessarily learned that was most important. He taught me, number one, to respect God's word. Number two, to respect God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit who authored that word and who, who enlightens that word in us. And he taught me, thirdly, to respect the body of Christ. Because nothing happens outside of community, amen? And what I learned in that class was that we need to be students, just not educational institutions. We got to learn from each other. And today we have podcasts, great resource. We have video commentaries that I now found. If you don't like to read it, you can actually sit and listen to the guy reading his own commentary. But if we're going to live a life worthy of the gospel, we have to keep on learning. Amen? Amen. And that's an admission that we do not know everything. So for all those that thought they did, uh, we got news for you. We can talk about it afterwards. So this week, we're talking about Epaphrodites. For those that are visiting with us, we've been navigating through Philippians. We're at Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30. Scripture will be on the screen. You can follow there, following God's word that you brought with you. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary, Paul writes, to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that I may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is God's word. Now listen to the commentary on Epaphrodite's life. 
He was a fellow worker. That meant he, he was willing to get his hands dirty. He was willing to get down and do the hard things that need to get done. Do the little things that need to get done. He was a fellow worker, a fellow laborer with God, but also with Paul. He was a fellow soldier. He was in the fight. Unit said he risked his life on the front lines. And there was the illness, but there was something else there later on that he risked his life for. And we don't know what that could be. It could be imprisonment. It could be persecution. It could be beating. It might have been execution. But he was in the fight. He was on the front lines. He wasn't in some back office somewhere dictating to somebody else what to do. His desire was for the good of community. He nearly died for that cause. So here's the point I want to talk about this morning. We all lead someone and we are led by someone. Let me say it this way. Everyone has a Timothy and Epaphrodites. You are influencing someone. And everyone is a Timothy or Epaphrodites. Somebody is influencing you. So we all lead someone and are led by someone. The question becomes, how do we lead? And I think today, one of the big gaps we have in our American culture, in the culture itself, but also in the church, is nobody's leading. We got the blind following the blind. So I want to take this text this morning and just pull out full four principles. And we're going to put them on the screen right now. And we're going to leave them there, okay? And I'm going to talk briefly about each one of these. If we're going to lead the way that God called us to lead, if we're going to lead a worthy life of the gospel, if we're going to lead advancing the gospel, if we're going to lead in selfless community, all those things we've talked about with joy and rejoicing, not grumbling. We have to lead through sacrifice. Both Timothy and Epaphrodites illustrate this. We have to lead through risking our lives for others. We have to lead through redeeming brokenness instead of creating it. And we have to lead through making wise decisions. Leading through sacrifice. He was a fellow worker. Paul's in prison. There's fellow preachers trying to cause him pain. And he says in Philippians 2 verse 21, he said, you know, there's people out there. There's people in the church out there. Here's what he says. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Epaphrodites was willing to let go of self-interest, let go of those kinds of things. And I know often sacrifice, we talk about things like money. But it's far greater than that. I mean, the lesser list that we talk about sacrifice, we start talking about sacrificing things like our comforts and our conveniences. And we give out of our wealth and abundance. But the list here goes deeper, doesn't it? There's a greater list about time. I mean, Epaphrodites was away from his hometown. He was in a dangerous situation living in Rome. We talk about sacrificing our emotions because when you sit down and listen to stories and you listen to the brokenness and you listen to what God can and will do, I mean, it takes a heavy toll. Sometimes we sacrifice our reputations. I mean, if there was a group out there after Paul and Epaphrodites was supporting Paul, guess what? They were criticizing him too. And sometimes it costs our lives. I know we hear about that around the world. And you heard me say before that our century alone, there's more martyrs for Christ than any other time and point in history. But somehow we just don't connect with that because in America, we don't literally have to die for Jesus. We do. We're supposed to die to self. We're supposed to die to our interests. 
but physically, physical death, we've not come face to face with yet. We often hear things like this. We got to count the costs. Well, how about counting the cost of not sacrificing for Christ? You know what that cost is? It's people. It's like the five individuals that shared their story this morning. If we don't sacrifice, then they don't hear. I think in our country, one of the things that really has a very evil, ugly head is the sex slave industry. It's massive. We don't like to admit it. We don't like to take it seriously. It's one of the critical issues with illegal immigration that we face. And you look at organizations like A1 and IJM. Those are just two of the organizations. They're both Christian that seek to face this injustice face to face. I was watching a video one time and they took a camera with them of a live rescue. Okay. This organization was called OURS, O-U-R, yes, Operation Underground Railroad. And this group is led by ex-Navy SEALs. They're Christians. And they contact the local police. And I'm watching this on the screen. And it was like a scene from the movie Taken. I mean, they're going in. They're going in with their guns. Things are going off. And then you see the kids they rescue. We're talking 12 and 13 and 14. And it breaks your heart. I mean, everyone is someone's son or daughter. But here's the point. The church is called to sacrifice itself for the advancement of the gospel. And that's more than just getting a person to pray a prayer. I mean, Paul says, I become all things to all people. I might win some. We're called because outside of Christ, there is unthinkable and unimaginable evil that is making life broken and dark. But it's more than just sacrifice. We lead through risking our lives for others. He's a fellow soldier. He's on the front line. And, and risk is different than sacrifice. It's a part of. But when you risk, you risk your assets. You risk your health. You risk your life. Risk is where you let go of safety and security. And you push through your fears. You let go of the self-protections. Risk is when Gideon faced tens of thousands of warriors with a few hundred. And he trusted God. Risk is David facing a giant that strikes fear in every single soldier. Risk is three young Jewish boys who face the fiery furnace and they tell King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, we know God can deliver us, but if not, we're still not going to bow the knee. Risk is Esther taking and risking her life to save Israel. Risk is Moses facing the supreme power of his day with nothing more than a rod. Risk is King Jehoshaphat when faced with four armies outnumbered. He's about to lose everything. God says, listen, I want you to risk it all. I want you to hold a worship service on the side of the hill. I want you to take your lunch with you, sing and worship me, and I will take care of the rest. Of course, God risked his only son, and he risked it on you. So what are you willing to risk for him? You know, Paul with Epaphrodites, he risked his health, he risked his life. I think the two points are separate. But it leads me to my third statement then that we have to lead through redeeming brokenness instead of creating it. In a selfless community, Epaphrodites nearly died for the cause. He died to redeem the brokenness in someone. 
Selfish community, when it's all about us, it creates brokenness. It creates division. There's inappropriate judging. We, we judge externals and we judge motives. We refuse to forgive. We hold on to things. We're self-centered. It's a me-first mindset. We get angry, angry over the wrong things that divides us. You know, I, I know you remember me saying things like this. When we were coming up to a presidential election, I said, I don't get it. This election has divided the body of Christ like I've never seen. And I said, this should not be this way. You know what's now dividing the church? It's all over Facebook. It's all over the internet. We got various opinions. It's COVID and vaccines. And I'm going to tell you right now, this should not be. The mind of Christ, remember, he let go. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He was obedient. He humiliated himself to death on a cross. Why? Because of the brokenness of our world. And I think what disturbs me most is that in our current cultural climate, and for religious bodies who adopt culture and not Christ, all our attempts to redeem brokenness simply take our brokenness even to greater depths. That's my opinion. We all agree something's wrong, but there's two problems today. One is we fail to deal with the human heart, so blame's out there with someone or something else, or we take this victim status, and number two, we fail to take time to listen to stories. We're too busy trying to fix. And everyone has an opinion about what's wrong, but we're too busy to take the very hard walk that people need to be walked with. You know, I think of what Lee said about Rich. Five years. Five years. We lose out on this macro view. And if we're to impact, if we're to make a difference in brokenness around us, we must be bold and flexible. Never with the mission or with Christ or God's word. But we've got to be flexible with our methods, our constructs, and how we move light into darkness. And finally, we've got to lead through making wise decisions. You know, Paul was making a choice. Somebody that he loved, someone that was beneficial to him, he was sending back. Why? Because they wanted to see him. They were concerned about him. And Paul knew that Epaphrodites could help them along their worthy walk in Christ. He was a great worker, a great warrior, a great messenger. He was a valuable asset. He was a great example of selfless community. And you know, Paul's decision, when you look at how he made this, really was a process. Now, I use that word instead of react, because most of our decisions today are impulsive, they're emotional, and they're reactive. See, process, the Bible is clear about certain decisions. For instance, it's clear that you're not supposed to steal, which means you can't walk into a car lot, take a truck or a car for a test drive, and not bring it back. That's not allowed. It's pretty clear. And yet we're called to be wise. How do we make decisions that the Bible doesn't necessarily talk about? You know, Ephesians chapter 5, look carefully how you walk. Are you walking worthy? Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So let me talk about process. Now let me illustrate that with what Dr. Kime referred to last week in the church hiring me and Bev. I mean, they had a process, and guess what? We had a process. And there was different timelines on this. You know, I, I know when I was processing things about leaving and going, I had a coach, I had a group of men outside the church, I had the leadership board of that church, the staff, 
group of men inside the church, family, wife, and kids, and process leaving a place I could have barely easily stayed until I retired. But, you know, wisdom comes from community. I mean, for instance, when I agreed to step down and start looking, I had six different options. And I don't know if you're like me, but I looked at the options. I knew which ones I liked. I knew which ones I didn't like. I knew which ones I didn't want to consider, but we got to be spiritual. So we say things like this. Oh, let me pray about it. Okay, I prayed. Amen. No. (laughs) You've done it too, because you laughed. Now, my coach, when I was saying, okay, I'm going to eliminate these, he says, listen, interview all the options and find out where God moves your heart. And guess what I found? Where my heart was was not where God wanted me to be. And it took time for God to move my heart where he wanted me to be. I still remember in the interview process, the first one, Bill Sharp, who many of you know, asked me, Do you have a, I know you have other options. I said, yes, there's six. He goes, where are we on the list? I said, number six. <laughs> he goes, well, okay. Just tell me when we start moving up the list. And of course, long story short, you moved back to number one. But here's the lesson, okay? When you're making wise decisions, God knows so much more than we do. Amen? And God will use community to speak to us. And community must center itself on Christ and the word of God and life done living in selfless community. It's where we have accountability, wisdom. It's where opportunities come from. Another way of saying this is life alone is impossible. And how many decisions have you made alone outside of yourself and maybe your spouse? And we forget words like this in Proverbs 14, verse 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So here's what we have to remember this morning. He is not shaken by what shakes us, amen? So I want you to think about what you obsess over, things that you are so certain about, things that you think you have control over, things that, you know, you really can't shut off the switch, Now, it might be a bit exaggeration, but you get my point, don't you? What has your attention? Who are you following? What distracts you? What distracts you from knowing who God is and knowing your Bibles and the hope we have in Christ? I was beginning to read a book by Tony Ranke. Here's the title, 12 Ways Your Cell Phone is Changing You. Now, we know today that and there's, there's no dispute about this. Cell phones are addicting. We know that. And we know how it affects our minds and our lives. But um, not saying cell phones are evil, okay? Just saying they can become addicting. Like most things, all things are in moderation. Now, here's the first three he talks about. He says cell phones distract us because, number one, they're addicted to distraction. You ever with someone and the phone goes off, what happens? Oh, my God. You know, I hate to tell you this. I see you when you do that in church. (laughs) I can hear the buzz, by the way. Number two, he says, we ignore flesh and blood. I mean, we would rather text than talk. Now, we say that's not true, but that's where people live. I loved one of the commercials where two kids were sitting on the couch texting, texting each other. It really illustrates that. Number three, he says, we crave immediate approval. We post something and we look, oh, how many people liked us? Now, the last four, listen to these consequences. He says, because of the cell phone addiction, number one, we get lonely. Number two, we lose meaning. Number three, 
We fear losing out. And number four, we lose our place in time, which means we lose the macro view of life. We're just at the micro view today, right now. And I got thinking, there are things we can blame on COVID. But maybe COVID simply shined a spotlight on something that already exists. Here's my clothing comments. Okay, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to close with a, a song. I was at the youth retreat last week, blessed to be there, left a little sore. I can't move like I used to. And, you know, I gave them some time to talk and for us to listen. And here's what I want to tell everyone here who is not a youth or that has a youth. Do not say they are the church of tomorrow. Do not treat them like they're the church of tomorrow. Find the spark of God in them like Dr. Kime talked about with Timothy and grandmother and everybody else. And fan that into a flame. Do not judge them by cultural standards. You know what cultural standards are. Their value and worth is in the education or athletic field. Those are the two biggies. Don't judge them and their value. Their values in Christ, they are born and made in the image of God. Teach them to walk in the ways of God. Teach them to think and ask questions that will navigate them through what they got to face. Because they had to face in high school things I didn't have to face. And here's the biggie, okay? Listen to their voice. I didn't say you have to agree. <laughs> but listen, they just might surprise you. Now, here's the second thing. Down front, we have, where'd some of them go? They'll be back. People that were baptized, come and greet them. Take some time if you feel led to get to know them. Lee has a fascinating story about F-16s flying by yesterday. I'm just going to bait you with that one. They all have stories. Pray for them. They're facing some pretty big giants in their lives that need to be slain. And they are part of our community at GBC, amen? We need to treat them that way. So greet them, pray for them, and celebrate what God's doing in their life. Let's stand as we close on worship.